This morning I invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6 in your copy of the Holy Scripture, Ephesians 6, as we continue our summer series on spiritual warfare this morning, the gospel of peace. As we begin, I have a confession to make. Do I have your attention? (laughs) I confess to you that I have a lot of shoes. A lot of shoes. I have a couple pair of dress shoes. I have a couple pairs of casual shoes. I have a pair of gym shoes, a pair of sandals, a pair of snow boots. I have a pair of soccer cleats and softball cleats. Don't judge me for my confession of having many shoes because I know you have a lot of shoes too. In fact, I'd like to play a game this morning as we begin. And the game is, I will tell you what you're thinking. I will tell you how many shoes you have in your house right now, all right? This is the, the way the game works. First of all, you think of the, the number of pairs of shoes that you have. Do the math in your head. How many pairs of shoes do you have? All right, now add to that the number of shoes your spouse has. <laughs> you, you, you got that number? Now you... You have that? Now you need to multiply by two, right? Because a pair of shoes is two shoes. So now your shoes, her shoes, or your spouse's shoes, multiply that by two. Of course, you're, you're now thinking of that number. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Pastor Matt, we have more shoes than we can count, right? It's an innumerable, I, I, I couldn't even venture a guess of how many shoes are in the, the closet upstairs and the closet downstairs and just outside the door in the, the garage. Uh, there's, I, I don't even know how many shoes, that's what you're thinking. And that would be my testimony as well. The, the most infamous collection of shoes was that of Elmelda Marcos. Mrs. Marcos and her dictator husband were driven out of the Philippines in 1986 when the people revolted. She left behind 3,000 pairs of shoes. Nearly 1,000 of them are now on display in a shoe museum in the Philippines. But of course, that's old news. We, we know that in 2019, just a few years ago, singer Celine Dion revealed that she owns over 10,000 pairs of shoes and she has a warehouse to store them all. But never mind the number of shoes that I have or you have or that anyone else has. There is one pair of shoes that we must always wear, that we must always put on, and that is the preparation of the gospel of peace. Ephesians 6, verse number 15, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. As we work our way through Ephesians 6 and our topical study of spiritual warfare and the armor of God, I've, I've prepared a message simply titled, The Gospel of Peace. Let's pray before we look at the scripture. God in heaven, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for Jesus' death on the cross, shedding his blood as the Lamb of God. We thank you for his resurrection after three days in the grave. We thank you, God, not just for that historic event, but we thank you for its efficacy to purchase the forgiveness of our sin and to assure us of everlasting life. We thank you for the reconciliation that was accomplished when Christ's death and resurrection made peace between us and you. 
And God, I pray that you would impress upon our hearts and our minds this morning by your spirit how that we need to wear daily the shoes of the gospel peace. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Most of the time, we wear our shoes for fashion. To some degree, we wear our shoes for comfort. If you're an athlete, you might wear your shoes for performance, but as a soldier, your shoes, your boots, your footwear are an indispensable part of the military equipment that that you have. They are for survival. A a soldier's shoes or his boots are, are what support him when he marches and what helps him to stand strong in the battle. In fact, if you look at Ephesians 6, verse number 11, our goal in spiritual warfare is to stand, verse 11, that you may be able to stand. Look at verse number 13, that you may be able to withstand. Look at verse 14, stand therefore. So it is when we speak of a Christian who has stumbled into sin or has fallen away from the faith or has backslidden in their walk, we are saying that they have failed to stand in that moment of trial or temptation and perhaps they were unable to stand because they were not wearing the necessary footwear for spiritual battle and consequently they lost their proverbial footing. So for that reason, The Apostle Paul instructs us in verse 15 to shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace or as the ESV reads, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now, there are two explanations for this then, two possible explanations for this readiness and this preparedness with the gospel of peace. The first is that this may teach that the Christian soldier ought to be ready, ought to be prepared to preach and proclaim the good news of the gospel to the lost. Peter wrote that we must always be ready to give a defense or an answer to everyone who asks us a reason of the hope that is within us. So that if today, if you were put on the spot and had to give a gospel witness in a, in a moment's notice, could you do it? Maybe we slip or stumble or fall in our evangelism of the lost because we aren't ready. And we miss the opportunity because it came upon us so quickly. It sneaked upon us from behind and we didn't have time to prepare. If I was only ready or prepared or, or thinking ahead, if I knew it was coming, I, I would have had the gospel track or I would have had the bold witness, but I just, uh, I wasn't ready. And this understanding and explanation of Ephesians 6 verse 15 is a good one after all. What did Paul write in Romans chapter 10? We read it earlier in our service. How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach unless they are sent, as it is written in Isaiah 52, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. In Romans 10, verses 14 and 15, Paul is addressing the need for us to go and evangelize the lost with the message of the gospel. However, this morning I submit to you that in Ephesians 6, verse 15, what's open before you, Paul is addressing something completely different. This is what I've written there at the top of your notes. Ephesians 6, verse 15 isn't about going It's about standing. In fact, you might underscore that. 
Ephesians 6 verse 15 isn't about going but about standing. In the context of Ephesians 6, the gospel of peace isn't about evangelizing the unbeliever but about strengthening the believer. So this is the interpretive key to our study this morning. I submit that the, uh, Ephesians 6 isn't for the unsaved but for the saved. And when under attack by the wicked one, the Christian soldier is to stand firm and hold his ground by preparing himself to defend himself with the gospel of peace. So, when Satan attacks us and assaults us and the ground of our faith is shaken, how do we stand? With the gospel of peace. When it seems that the sands of our feelings are always shifting, how do we anchor ourselves with the gospel of peace? When you sense that you're slipping or you're sliding away from the Lord into apathy or indifference or sinful habits, how do you recover your footing with the gospel of peace? I argue that Romans 10 is foregoing but the shoes in Ephesians 6 are for standing. In both cases, it's the same gospel of peace. Don't misunderstand that. The same gospel of peace. But in Romans 10, we are proclaiming the gospel of peace to the unsaved. In Ephesians 6, we are proclaiming the gospel of peace to ourselves. Now, the Apostle Paul began this letter, the letter to the Ephesian church, with a reference to peace. If you turn the page back to chapter one, verse number two, he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul concluded this letter to the Ephesian church with the very same theme, the theme of peace. If you turn to, the, to chapter six, verse 23, he says, peace to the brethren. And so a central theme in this letter is the subject of, of peace. It's achieved by Christ, the gospel message. In fact, turn to chapter two. Go with me there and allow me to read of this theme embedded at the very heart of this letter, Ephesians 2. Let's pick up in verse number 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, that is, Gentiles, for he himself is our what? Our peace, who has made both one, Jew and Gentile, has broken down the middle wall of separation, chapter two, verse 15 now, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, Jew and Gentile, thus making peace. And that he might reconcile them both, Jew and Gentile, both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. So Jesus Christ brought peace between man and God and between man and man because of his shed blood on the cross. The gospel of peace. A solution to any hostility among humans, perhaps discrimination, perhaps racism, you name it, is the peace that is, comes from the, from the gospel. And so it's the gospel of peace that, that Paul is addressing here in the book of Ephesians that we need to preach to ourselves. And with that in mind, go with me to Romans chapter five. 
Romans chapter 5, what I'd like to do is spend the remainder of our time in Romans 5 rehearsing the gospel or the good news for ourselves. Romans chapter 5 is where we need to be now. Romans 5, it's a, a familiar passage to us. But let's take these moments this morning as well as Wednesday evening in our home Bible fellowships, let's proclaim the gospel of peace to ourselves. Romans 5 verse 1, therefore having been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In your notes, if you're following the outline I'm providing, we rest in peace with God. Now, the peace in Romans chapter five, verse one, is primarily objective. It's positional in judicial standing that we now have before God. Those who have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ are robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, imputed to us, giving us peace with God. That is the objective fact That is the security of our salvation. But this peace is also subjective. It's not only a fact, it's also a feeling. And that subjective feeling is the assurance of our salvation. This is the deep and wonderful subjective peace in knowing that we are a child of God. Charles Hodge calls it the the sweet quiet of the soul. You see, we know the facts the objective positional facts of our salvation, but then we feel the sweet assurance of our salvation, the peace of God that passes all understanding that keeps our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So this is the way it will work. Let's be practical this morning. The way it works is that Satan will assault us targeting our torso. Remember from last week, we talked of our torsos being the the homes to our hearts and to our guts our thinking, and our feeling. And when Satan targets our torso, our hearts, and our guts, he seeks to make us forgetful of the truth, our thinking, and he makes us to be fearful in the feelings of our guts. If we are to stand against the attacks of Satan in that moment, we must be ready with the belt of truth around us and the breastplate of righteousness in front of us and our feet firmly grounded in the gospel of peace. You see, so that we're prepared, we're ready to speak the gospel to ourselves and rest in that. We counsel ourselves. And we say, what do I know to be true? I know that Jesus died and rose again for me. I know that I have peace with God because of that work. I can rest in that. We rest in peace with God. Secondly, we stand in the grace of God. We rest in peace with God. We stand in the grace of God. Look at Romans 5, verse number two. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we Stand. Remember, the goal of our spiritual warfare is to stand, and we are going to stand where? In the grace of God. Now, for the Jews, the idea of having access to God was unthinkable because to see God face to face was to die. And so the tabernacle and, and later the temple were built with restrictive boundaries being set. A Gentile could only go into the outer court, but no further. A Jewish woman could go beyond the Gentile limit, but not much further. Jewish men could go a little bit closer, priests a little bit closer, but no one could enter the Holy of Holies to access God's divine presence except the high priest, and he only once a year. But the gospel changes all that. 
You see, Christ's death changed that through his atoning sacrifice on the cross. He made God the Father accessible to any person who trusts in that blood sacrifice. And that was, that was graphically demonstrated when Jesus was crucified, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That veil in the temple was the barrier between God and man. So we have access to God's holy presence. The, the writer of Hebrews could write this, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near. Also in Hebrews we read, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. So we have this access, but even better than the approach, better than the access because of the gospel, we can also stand in it and we can stand before his throne. We sing the hymn, before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands, my name is written on his heart, and I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. No tongue can bid me thence depart. Here we go. When Satan tempts me to despair. And he tells me of the guilt within. I'm condemned by my own conscience as Satan assaults my thinking and my feeling with my own sin. Upward I look and I see him there who made an end to all my sin. You see, I'm preaching the gospel to myself now because the sinful, I'm sorry, the sinless Savior died. My sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied, that's the propitiation, to look upon him and pardon me, to look on Jesus and pardon me. And so we have access and we can stand. That's a place of permanence, of firmness, of immovability. It's not an in and out, off and on matter. That is, we have position in Christ, the security of our salvation, and we stand in the grace the grace that is greater than our our sin. Folks, when Satan targets your torso, your heart and your guts, your thinking and your feeling, stand strong in the gospel of peace and grace. We rest in peace with God. We stand in the grace of God. Look at the second part of verse number two. Well, let me, let me begin with verse two again. Through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. That was Roman numeral number two. And rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint Number three, we hope in the glory of God. Now, the Christian really has no reason to fear the future. We have every reason to rejoice in it because the Christian can hope or have confidence in, have surety in our destiny. Because of the gospel, 
We hope in the glory of God to share in the glory of God. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1, Christ has appeared in these last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Paul wrote, for our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. Furthermore, Paul wrote this, but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord and being transformed in the same glory to glory just as from the Lord. Now, the problem is because of our, our human understanding is, is so imperfect, we, we find it impossible to comprehend the magnitude or the wonder of the glory of God. We, we can't wrap our minds around his glory, but someday, nevertheless, we will behold his divine glory and partake in it. That's the hope of the believer. That's the blessed assurance that we have. However, sometimes we doubt these things. Have you ever felt, have you ever thought or have you ever felt unsure about these things? And have you ever wondered, but, but what if it's not true? What if what God has revealed to us in his word, what if the Christian faith, what if it's not true? That is the assault of Satan questioning the word of God, the promises of God, just as he did Adam and Eve in the garden. And the only way that we can stand in that moment is to preach to ourselves the gospel. Because when our faith falters, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so we open his word and we go back again and again to the gospel. We hope in the glory of God, there's, there's more to it. Number four, we remain in the love of God. We remain in the love of God. Look at Romans five, the, the second part of verse number five. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The love of God here in this text is not our love for God, it's his love for us. Don't misunderstand that, it's his love for us and his love was not dribbled at us. It was not squirted at us. It was not trickled out at us. It was poured out. It's not to be measured in drops, but in torrents. And knowing that we, the reader, would need to, to, to know more of his love, Paul, Paul explains it, verse number six, for when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. This is his love. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, this is the gospel and it teaches us that we can remain in the love of of, of God. Natural human love is often based on the attractiveness of the object of love. And so we are inclined to love those who love us or, and consequently we tend to attribute that same kind of love to God but, but God didn't love us because we loved him God loved us when we were unlovely we were still sinners Charles Hodge has observed this I've copied it for you there in the back of your notes if God loved us because we loved him 
He would love us only so long as we love him. And on that condition, then our salvation would depend on the constancy of our treacherous hearts. But as God loved us as sinners, as Christ died for us as ungodly, our salvation depends, as the apostle argues, not on our loveliness, but on the constancy of the love of God. You say, Pastor Matt, why do you always quote dead theologians? Have you ever wondered that? Okay. Um, Let me quote to you from, from the scripture, which, by the way, I guess they're all dead theologians now, right? Jeremiah 31, God told his people, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And of course, the apostle Paul, I'm persuaded, I'm convinced. It's my conviction that neither death nor life, angels or principalities, powers, things present or to come, nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You say, Pastor, I think I know that in my heart, but I don't always feel that in my guts, right? It's hard for me to remain in the love of God because I I don't always, it doesn't always feel like that. Turn with me back to Ephesians. Just briefly, keep your, your finger in Romans 5. Turn back to Ephesians. I always want to anchor our study here in the book of Ephesians, the larger context to, to Paul's writing on spiritual warfare, chapter three, Ephesians three. I want us to read Paul's prayer for the Ephesians regarding this love of God. Ephesians three, verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, verse 17, that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being, here we are, Ephesians 3, the end of verse 17, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know what? The love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Paul prayed for the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the Ephesians, just as he described it back in Romans chapter five, verse number five, that we might remain in the love of God. Folks, when Satan assaults your thinking and your feelings, tries you and tempts you, and you're prone to wander and to despair, You need to put on the shoes of the gospel of peace. You need to preach and proclaim the gospel to yourself and remind yourself of the love of God for you. Go back to Romans chapter five. Romans chapter five. I will give you uh, Roman numeral number five. We are saved from the wrath of God. Romans 5, the beginning of verse number 9, much more than it suggests that this next point is stronger than the previous ones. So forget the previous points. It's, it's getting stronger and stronger. Verse number 9, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if or since we were enemies, 
we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. First Thessalonians says that, that through Jesus' sacrifice, we are delivered from the wrath to come. Romans 8 verse 1 says there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. We're given life because of his life and we're sure of that. We're saved from God's wrath. And Paul argues his case in in verse number 10. Look at verse number 10. This is the Pastor Matt paraphrase of verse number 10. If God had the power and the will to redeem us in the first place, how much more does he have the power to keep us redeemed? If the dying Savior reconciled us to God, surely the living Savior can keep us reconciled. You see, he who believes on the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on, on him. And so don't let Satan tell you otherwise. We are saved from the wrath of God. Well, maybe God is angry with me. Satan's assault. Verse 11. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Can I offer you this? Number six, we experience joy. We rejoice in God. How is it, folks, that we can have joy in the midst of grief? How is it that we can have peace in the middle of a war? The answer is the gospel. And so as we suit up for spiritual battle, we must put on the preparation of the gospel of peace. That is, we must be ready, prepared, to always preach to ourselves, to speak to ourselves, to counsel ourselves with the gospel, we stand in Christ. And so Satan, as the accuser of the brethren, no matter what fiery dart that he might send your way, no accusation, no assault can change our position in Christ. For we know whom we have believed, and we are persuaded that he will keep us We stand in the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning, those who are watching or listening. Lord, I pray that you would help us to stand against the wiles of the wicked one, that we might stand in this evil day, that we might put on the shoes, the footwear, the boots, the soldier's boots of preparation of the gospel of peace. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters that that the gospel message might be front of mind, might be front of heart, or it might be the, the surety and the stability of their Christian lives. For I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.